what is an evangelist? Students, do you guys know? Come here, man. I know you like to talk. Do you know what an evangelist is? Just say somebody that shares good news. You're going you're gonna to freeze up now. You, all right. Everybody say good news. An evangelist is somebody that gives good news. We're all called to evangelize. If you're a Christian, you're called to share good news. Amen? It's not our job to tell people how horrible they are, how rotten they are, how sorry they are. I appreciate every form of evangelism, but I've never agreed with the type that spends 30 minutes uh, describing how horrible someone is and five minutes talking about how good God is. I truly believe when someone's heart's right, if you just describe to them the love of Jesus, they'll convert like this to the kingdom. I don't think you have to beat people up to get them to convert. Amen? I think most people know they're in sin. Most people know they're in the struggle. Most people know they aren't where they need to be. So if we show them the way out and we show them the love of God, then God will change their circumstances. The gift of evangelism. What did Paul tell his mentee? Timothy, he said, do the work of an evangelist to make full proof of your ministry. If you ever go to seminary, Brother Randy, I know you had to learn this verse. Do the work of an evangelist to make full proof of your ministry. What does that mean? It means if you're not telling anybody about Jesus, you're not leading anybody to Jesus, what are you really doing? Nothing. I don't mean you have to be Billy Graham. I'm not. You're not. But it's good to let your light so shine before men. It doesn't matter whether you work at a plant or in a factory or in a church or wherever you go. If you're in a middle school, a high school, a private school, a home school, you can let your light shine wherever God sends you. Do the work of an evangelist to make full proof of your ministry. Yes, there are 66 books. Yes, there's fresh revelation. Yes, there are mysteries. Yes, things are written in Hebrew and Greek, and we can dissect those things. But what people need is the love of Jesus. I sat around pastors, some had been in the ministry 35, 38 years, some just a few years, and all the um, older pastors said, the reason our churches are dying is we've spent too much time on Greek and not enough time on Jesus. These are Baptist guys, very educated pastors that said that. And so there's a revival taking place across denominational lines and the revival is about getting back to the basics, getting back to the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? If we'll love people in the name of Jesus Christ, we won't have to worry about money. We won't have to worry about crowds. We won't have to worry about uh, bills. God will take care of that. He'll send us the people, and people will buy in to the love of Jesus Christ, to that ministry. Paul also said, be you... Be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist to fulfill your ministry. So not just do the work of an evangelist, he says you've got to be watchful. If you're going to tell somebody about Jesus, you've got to be on high alert. Look at that person crying. Look at that person with their head down. Look at that person trying to get four kids in here on a Sunday morning struggling. Look at that elderly lady that's having trouble walking. You've got to be able to spot people. Look at that child that's hungry. Look at that child that's being raised without food. You've got to be able to spot. If you're being watchful, then you're on the lookout for people who need the love of Jesus Christ. That's what being watchful is all about. It also says endure afflictions. If you're going to love Jesus Christ, you're going to endure afflictions. If you're going to serve God, it's not an easy road. 
I don't care if you're Joel Osteen or Joel Nobody, it's a hard road. Money doesn't make life easier. If you have been called to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to get you eventually in your emotions. It's going to punch you spiritually eventually. And you're going to be brought to your knees more than once if you're going to serve Jesus Christ. It's not glitz. It's not glamour. It's a very difficult road. But we are promised crowns. Amen? A crown of life, a crown of righteousness, a crown of glory, and we'll get there. Paul would say, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Before he left this earth, before he was to die, he wanted his legacy to continue through Timothy. That's what it was all about. And he gave him a lot of practical instructions, but the main thing that he said to him was this. Do the work of an evangelist. Tell somebody about Jesus. Love somebody in the name of Jesus. So it says in, later in Ephesians, Paul some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. I'll deal with this more on Sunday. But an apostle, I said, is one who sent. Apostles govern regions. Okay? Prophets. Someone who has a prophetic edge, who tells the truth, who doesn't mind offending people, correcting people. Prophets make things right. They bring correction. If It's like your daddy when he has to spank you. Amen? We need more of that. The reason prophets aren't as popular nowadays is we've raised a candy culture where everybody gets a trophy, nobody loses anymore, nobody says, you know what, you're not very good at that, maybe you ought to try doing something else. You know, when I was being raised, if you weren't very good at something, they loved you, but they told you, hey, you ought to think about doing something else. You know, because God has a specific assignment for your life, and it's one thing to chase your dreams, and God will make your dreams come true if they are in accordance with His will. But if your dream is not God's dream, you're going to be kicking against the goad. So you've got to tap into God and be in Christ to find out what you young people are supposed to be doing. You may want to go off and be this, but you need to find out what God wants you to do. Then it'll be easier. When I finally started obeying God, I waited way too long. But when I finally started obeying God, things got easier. I used to hate school with a purple passion. I started making good grades when I found out what I was called to do. And then I thought, man, I'm smart. I'm a scholar. But I didn't think that before because I didn't apply myself because I didn't find what I was called to do, what I was passionate about. Once you find out your passion, things become easier and God intervenes. His anointing comes on you to do the work. And that's what you need to be an evangelist. You need the anointing of God. You don't just need it. Uh, to get up and speak like I do, but just to share your, the gospel with one of your friends at school. You know, sharing the gospel with young people with one of your friends is harder than what I'm doing right now. I've been there. To go to somebody whose parents don't take them to church, who's acting all kinds of ways, and you say, you know what? Jesus loves you. Can I pray for you? I know it sounds okay here in church, but I know if you're over at Loftus or at Saudi or at a private school or wherever you're going, it's hard. You need the anointing of God to help you with that. And if you do it, you need to text your student pastor and say, I need you to pray for me. I'm about to love somebody. I'm about to try this. Pray for me. Don't do it by yourself. Let your church back you up when you share the faith. Same thing with you adults. If you've got a person in your neighborhood or in, in your corporation that you're, you're going to minister to, text one of us. Say, agree with me in prayer. I'm about to share my faith. Amen? We've got to get back to that. 
The Greek word for evangelist means the one who proclaims glad tidings or good news. I believe it is important for us here at the church to have a clear vision about the path, the process, and the purpose that God has for us as members of this body. In this epistle to the Ephesians, it's written to the church of Ephesus. It's called the church epistle, the queen epistle, because there's so much doctrine in it, but it's really about what the church is supposed to be doing. I did my master's in biblical studies on the book of Ephesians, so I'm familiar with it. I preached through it before on Wednesday night. So I'm very familiar with this book, but Paul is trying to set the church right, but not just that church, our church. Amen? He's trying to release some theology into the atmosphere that will help us be all that God has called us to be. We need to understand what we are to do as imperfect vessels and how we are to introduce others to this new way of life called grace. Being lost is not just about going to hell. Being lost is a miserable life. I'll be honest with you. I, I used to run the roads and, and go do stuff and, and go to bars and things like that before I was right with the Lord. And, and I, I'm not a legalist now by any stretch of the imagination, but I was at this pastor's conference, and I had a break, not last night, but the night before, and big Adam Connor came by, one of our members, and, and uh, I told him, I said, if you'll drive, I'll take you and I'll buy you dinner. So we went to the old spaghetti factory. It was awesome. And Adam looked at me and said, you want to go walk on the strip? Oh, you know, Adam's trying to be a country star or something. And I said, man, I said, yeah, I'll go walk. We'll just go walk and just see what's happening. It's a Monday night. It's dead, you know. And so we went into, you know, Ernest Tubbs and some of the clubs there on the strip. I didn't do anything bad or anything like that. But I, I just kind of walked in and just kind of mingling. And, and when we got done walking the strip, I was walking back to my vehicle and I was talking to Adam, and I was like, you know what makes me sad? And he was like, what? And I was like, it's Monday night, man. And these people are partying like it's New Year's Eve. And they're not here on vacation. You know they're going to be here again tomorrow night. The crowd's not full. The streets aren't popping. There's no big concert in town. They're wasn't a wedding there's nothing to celebrate these people are doing this to get by so i wasn't judging them like "Ooh, i'm some perfect christian and you're this rotten sinner but i it made me sad for them because i can remember a time in my life where monday nights were like that is anybody with me where tuesday night any reason at all to party to escape from reality and I felt bad for him because I can remember this isn't about what you put in your mouth. That's another sermon. This is about what's in your heart. That people are so miserable that on a Monday night, I mean, who has fun on Monday? You know, godly, amen. But I'm thinking, my goodness, these people are drunk, man, and miserable. And there's nothing to celebrate. There was a sadness over it. I can't describe it. There was a depression on the strip. And I've been to Nashville before, and I've been when it's hopping, and there's something going on. I've seen concerts, but there wasn't any of that. It was just a depression of people who are miserable. 
who are lost. Lost is not just about hell. It's having no purpose on earth. It's having nothing to look forward to. It's not knowing who you are in Christ. And so when you tell somebody about Jesus, you're not just giving them their golden ticket into heaven. You're changing their destiny. You're changing their DNA. You're giving them the keys to the kingdom of God. And they need it. We must show people this new way of life called grace. And this is what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2. He describes who he is and who he was called to be in the first verse. He's an apostle. And then it says this, and I love this. And you he made alive, which in the Greek that word means quickened. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Again, I've preached this before. Sin is to miss the mark. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody in here is a sinner. Okay? Sin, trespass, means you don't just miss the mark. You've crossed the line. You're now on ground that God never intended for you to be on. You have a charge called criminal trespassing in our government. That means you're on property that you're not allowed to be on. Spiritual trespassing is the same way. You didn't just mess up and sin. You've sinned to the degree you're now on ground, very dangerous ground. God never wanted you to be there, but you're there. You're trespassing. Then if you stay on that ground, then you transgress. Transgression, which means you've now hurt God's heart. This is where you don't want to be. I've been there. You haven't just slipped up and sinned, made a mistake. We all do that. You haven't just accidentally ended up on territory you weren't supposed to be on. Now you've broken God's heart, and now you're starting to anger God. This is not a good place to be, because now you're going to start to face the wrath of God. Now, He's a loving God, and I'm mostly grace, but I've experienced His wrath as well. He's a just God, too, and He's not going to let you continue down a certain road without punishing you because He loves you. We need to be thankful when God disciplines us, when He chastens us, when He chastises us, when He corrects us. You know, I didn't appreciate when my dad would discipline me as a child, but I'm thankful for it now. Amen? We ought to be thankful when God disciplines us. Even if it embarrasses the fool out of us, we ought to be thankful. And He who made alive, who quickened us, who were dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's what I felt on that strip. It was just a hovering of depression. The power of the prince of the air was over there. Listen, I love country music. I love concerts. I'm not judging Nashville. I'm just saying on this lonely Monday night, there was hardly anybody there, and the people that were there were miserable. To the point, that's all I could think about was having mercy on these people. I couldn't have slipped up and had fun if I wanted to. Because my heart was broken for these people. There was a spiritual element there that bothered me. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. When it says dead in trespasses, that means void of all spiritual life. There are some people who've prayed the sinner's prayer to, and in They think they're saved, and I'm going to preach about this in April. I'm going to go old school with some wheat and some tares. But there are people who really feel like they are saved, but they have not an ounce of spirituality in them. 
They know the Bible. They go to church. They know the rules, but they don't know Him. They have no spirituality. This means lifeless, dead, and on ground you shouldn't have ever been on because of the prince of the power of the air. It says, Among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Everybody say Gentiles. So when it says, Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves, that deals with Jews. When it says children of wrath, that's dealing with Gentiles. No one cares about that. Just a good tidbit for you. Verse 4, But God, this is where the evangelism part comes in. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For it is by grace we have been saved. That's the message of grace. That's evangelism. Raised us up together to make us sit in heavenly places. When Jesus got up, we got up. When Jesus died, he did that so we wouldn't have to. When he got up, we got up with him. He lives to make intercession for us. He's coming back for us. We have purpose because of him that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his loving kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Again, for it is by grace you've been saved through what? Faith. You can't come to Jesus. You can't accept the free gift of grace without faith. Faith is believing in what you can't see. Who say, how do you believe in God? Because I have faith. How do you believe it's going to be all right? Because I have faith. How do you believe God's going to do it? Because I have faith. How do you believe your kids are going to make it through the alcohol or the drug problem? Because I have faith. How do you believe you're going to end up where you're supposed to be? Because I have faith. Amen. If you don't have anything tonight, grab hold of some faith and believe God for something. You say, Pastor Ronnie, how, how are you going to stand up here and talk about planting a church when you ain't paid for this one? Somebody say faith. I figure I would just announce it to you and have faith to believe God's big enough to do it. I believe God's big enough to do it. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship. Love this word in the Greek, poema. This is skillfully and carefully crafted. A piece of art, poema. We get our word poem. From it, his workmanship. He's crafted you, man. He created you. You rhyme. You connect. You are in covenant with the king. God carefully and craftfully made you wonderfully. And you are a note to his big production. You are a chord, a note, a horn, whatever it is you are. You're a beautiful sound that flows right along with his ultimate plan. Sometimes you might get to sing the solo and sometimes you might be background vocals. But either way, you're all a part of God's kingdom orchestra. We are all connected. Amen? Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. So let me talk to you quickly about evangelism, then we're out of here. Evangelists are agents of transformation. Okay? Evangelists don't just get people to accept Jesus. They're agents of transformation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Creation means progressive change. I'm not as bad as I used to be. I'm not as good as I'm going to be. If you ever stop in your process with God, you're finished. 
if you ever feel like you've arrived and you've achieved this pinnacle of Christianity, that's where you're going to get beat. Because you are to grow in Christ your whole life until you die. God spends, you're in, God spends time carefully, skillfully creating you. And then your entire life, as you draw close to Him, you mature. If you ever feel like, man, I got it going on. I'm good. I got my doctorate in Christianity and Christian living. I know everything. No, you don't. Paul talks repeatedly about the mysteries of God. The mystery is God creating you and being patient with you to become all that he intended for you to be. So don't ever get to a place where you feel like you've got it going on. Evangelists are agents of transformation. This describes our text a few things. First, it describes a death. It says, in you he made alive. What is the evangelistic message? That you died with Christ and that you can be delivered by Christ and that your disobedience, the ways you walked under the prince of the air, the past, the sins, the struggle, all that mess now shifts into spiritual service. Matthew 6 verse 24 says, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus said, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Evangelists are agents of transformation with a message, death, deliverance, and disobedience that shifts into supernatural service. Next, evangelists describe the goodness of God. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. For it is by grace you've been saved, unmerited, undeserved favor. You can't earn it. God loves you. Isn't that good? Describe the goodness of God. You know, God's never asked you to be able to preach a message on the rapture. God never asked you to be able to read Greek and Hebrew. God never asked you to go get a title or a seminary degree. All He asks of you, whether you're 10 years old or you're 85 years old, is to go into all the world. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be a preacher to do that. In fact, it's really not even the preacher's job. It's the church's job. We all have a part to play, and we need to do that together. All God asks of you is to show the love of Christ, speak the love of Christ. He doesn't ask you to debate with people. In fact, don't waste your time if you're not prepared for a debate. Don't let people rope you into debates. Young people, I used to have students all the time ask me, well, Pastor Ronnie, will you send me some verses if I'd preach in FCA camp? They'd email me, will you send me some verses? There's this atheist at school, and he says this, and what do I say to this? And if he says this, and forget that. I just say, hey, Jesus loves you, but if, you, if your mind's made up, I'm going to go over here and minister to this one. You just be right. Because people have a hunger for the things of God. A lot of times, we as Christians, we waste our time Arguing with someone who's not hungry or thirsty for the things of God, they just want to argue. I don't have time to argue. Amen? 
and there's too many people that need a fresh touch from Jesus, so don't waste your time with them. Just show them the love of Christ and how you treat them and go find somebody that's hungry, that needs a fresh drink from the well of God. The love of Jesus Christ brings about change. The Bible says love never fails. It never fails. Your sermons will fail. Your life group will fail. Churches will fail. Relationships will fail. Marriages will fail. Lectures will fail. Discipline will fail. But love never fails. Love never fails. Agape love, servant love that goes the extra mile never fails. We've been sharing a clip on social media of Bishop Del Bronner. Man, I hope y'all get here to hear him. Man, what a mind, what a genius, what an anointing on that guy. But he's talking about in this clip we shared about what it means to go the second mile, like Jesus said. The first mile is the victim mile. The second mile is the victor mile. See, people will try to manipulate you into walking with them for one mile, but if you go ahead and do two because of grace, it totally punches the enemy in the throat. And the second mile is where the glory is. You're in a fight with your wife. She wants you to do more. You're on the verge of divorce. Do what she wants you to do and then go the second mile. You're having trouble in a relationship. and They don't think you've been the kind of friend or the kind of person you ought to be. Do that mile and go the second mile and watch what God does. Somebody say amen. The love of Jesus Christ never fails, and it brings about authentic change. I've seen messages, some of the greatest sermons ever preached by some of the greatest preachers to ever preach. I've been blessed, man. These students won't know who any of these people are, and you may not either, but, man, I sat on W.A. Criswell's lap as a kid. I've got the picture in my phone right now. I met Jerry Falwell, man. I've been around Parsley. I've been around them all. I've been around Benny. I've been around Parsley. I've been with the best. But I'm here to tell you, a sermon will not change anybody. Only the love of Jesus Christ and discipleship will change somebody. It's not that these men and women shouldn't be respected and honored. Men and women of God should. But what I'm telling you is if the church doesn't stand up and be the church, we're not going to see change. We need people here on a Monday night because they're depressed, not trying to drink it away. We need people here not doing Oxycontin and pills to feel better. We need people in the church Loving on people. Not going to the world for some relief. We need to have a sound release from this place. Glory to God. The love of Jesus brings about authentic change. The mercies of God bring about reconciliation. If you're in a fight with a family member, a friend, the first one that shows mercy is the most spiritual. First one that forgives and that shows mercy is the most spiritual. If you're holding stuff in, no. It's like Jesus said, man, if you got a problem with somebody, you just leave your offering here. You go get, get right with your brother, then we'll see about a harvest. The one who shows mercy and forgives first is the one closest to Jesus. The mercies of God bring about reconciliation. If it's consuming your thoughts, you're not reconciled. If it's consuming your thoughts, you're not reconciled. So it's driving you nuts anyway, so why not go ahead and show mercy and make it right with them? 
Be the bigger person. Do what God says. If the mercies of God bring about reconciliation, the grace of God brings about salvation. Good news is, hey, you don't have to die and go to hell. You can be saved. Hey, you can have purpose on earth. You can have the zoe, which is the Greek for abundant. You can have the zoe life. You can have the abundant life, the exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think life on earth. You can have a better life because of God's grace. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. I love Romans, man. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The law is a mirror. When you look at the law of God, you're to look at it and go, Man, I fall short. That's what the law was intended to do. Reveal your sin and your mess to you. Not a code of conduct that you could check off and be arrogant about. The law is a mirror to reveal that you have unrighteousness in your life. But grace is the ability to look at that mirror and realize you're unrighteous, and because of what Jesus did, you can have the charis, the grace, the unmerited, and the undeserved favor to walk this thing out supernaturally. Here's what it says. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned. We quote this all the time. I do every Sunday. And have fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified, just as if you'd never sinned, justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ. So there's grace for your struggles. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was. We know he got beat to death. We know he was blind. We know he, he was an ugly man. We know he had speech problems. We know he had epileptic seizures. We don't know what the thorn was. I believe it was the seizures because he'd freak out and vomit and have a seizure when he'd try to preach to people. And that seizure would cause him to be insecure even though he knew he was supposed to take the gospel into all the nations. He'd go in there. He'd start having a seizure. And when he didn't have a seizure, they'd beat him to death. And so I believe he said, Lord, I keep having these seizures. I look like a fool. What do I do with this? I can't shake this thing. Some people believe it was a sin. It certainly could have been. Certainly could be a sin struggle. But he had a thorn in his flesh, and Jesus said, My grace is sufficient for you. So whatever it is you're dealing with, you can decide to stay on the sidelines with your sin struggle or with your health issue or your insecurities, or you can get in the game and fight. If I would have allowed my Baptist upbringing, and I love Baptists, I was just with them. I'm not pick, y'all think I'm picking on them, I'm not. I'm picking on religion. I just have one frame of thought for how I was raised. But if I would have allowed my upbringing to convince me like it was trying to, I would have never preached one message. Because I wouldn't have felt like I was ever good enough. Because that's what religion will do to you. But at some point you got to say, God, I'm going on with you. I'm carrying this thorn with me. I'm carrying this flesh with me. I'm going to cast the devil out, and I'm just going to keep walking this thing out. And I promise you, if you'll take that step of faith and you'll rebuke the enemy, you'll start walking, God will clean you up. But you got to keep walking. And you got to keep claiming His grace is sufficient for you. And then you'll end up doing like Paul. You'll boast in your weakness so that Christ's power will rest on you. Isn't that good? Boast in your weakness. Number three, evangelists measure and celebrate the results of transformation. It says that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding 
which is a numerical term, riches of His grace and His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So evangelists measure and celebrate the results of transformation. Don't tell me we shouldn't count how many we baptize. Baloney. We shouldn't count how many people join the church and get saved. Baloney. There's a whole book called Numbers. I, I want to know. Now, people are more than numbers, and we shouldn't be so focused on numbers we forget people. But we've got to calculate fruit. We've got to look at statistics of our county and our state to see where churches are dying and where they need ministry, where they need fresh water. We've got to take an intellectual look at things, not just a spiritual look at things, if we're going to penetrate this state with the gospel. We've got to. God's grace, I believe, is going to grow more and more in the days to come. That's the promise from this text in Ephesians 2. It says he's going to show his loving kindness to people you don't have patience for. I wish I had time tonight to preach the story of Mephibosheth in Lodabar, but I don't. But I can give you a quick overview. He's crippled. He's the son of Jonathan, David's best friend. And you, when, when Jonathan gets killed and Saul gets killed, Mephibosheth gets dropped and becomes lame in both of his feet. That's what the word means, lame, crippled. And so he goes to a place called Lodabar, which means the dry place. And he's living with a guy named Meshur, which means slavery. In the land of Lodabar. How'd you like to live in a dry place and be in slavery? And be crippled. But one day he gets a call from the king. David. And David said, is there anyone in the house of Saul? And Saul was, it should have been his mentor, but ended up hating trying to kill David. He says, is there anyone from the house of Saul that I can show Kessid loving kindness to for Jonathan's sake? That's his old best friend. See, he looked back. See, these people you help and you speak life into, it's possible that one day God's going to bless them and they're going to look back and they're going to remember that person who showed them love. And they're going to look back and say, man, is there anybody left in the house of Seth? Is there anybody left in the house of Alberta or JP or Bert? Is there anybody left in the Gould house that I can show love and kindness to? Because way back when, they helped me. And they loved me. And so Mephibosheth, this cripple, gets a call to come dine with the king. And when he does, he's nervous. Doesn't understand why the king would have anything to do with a dead dog like him. And he moves him crippled feet under the king's table. And the king says, not only are you going to live in my house, not only are you going to be blessed with my livestock and all my riches, all your friends and family are coming too, and they're getting blessed. Because he got a call from the king. I'm telling you, that's the way Jesus works. That's the way His grace works. You might be crippled in sin. You might be a mess. You might have been forgotten. You might be living in a dry place. You might be in slavery, making no progress. But the king is called. And he says, I got a big table with plenty of food, resources, wealth, abundance, and an eternity in heaven. But you got to grab hold of my grace. Salvation is part of that gift. It's a free gift. 
that must be received. But you got to be patient with people that God loves. How many of you struggle with that? Me too. But you got to understand the same call you got from the king, he's been trying to get a hold of them too. And you might just be the person he's trying to use to get a hold of them, to give them their invitation to dine with him. You've got to be willing to answer the call, not only for yourself, but the call to go and get other people and bring them to the table to dine with the king. That's what God's called us to do. I'll close right here. Evangelism equals sacrifice. It's not glamorous. It's a call to every one of us. It'll cost you everything, but he will empower you with what you need. That's what God does. John 16, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. How many of you are tired of stumbling? They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. We're heading that way in this nation if God doesn't do something. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes... You may remember that I told you about what they do. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away, Jesus would say, to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I did not go away, the Helper, the Holy Ghost, would not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more of judgment because of the ruler of this world is judged. Bow your head and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, you called us all to be evangelists. That's what you've called us to do. And so, Lord, I want to do my job as your vessel. And anyone watching or here tonight that doesn't know you, that's on their way to hell, doesn't know whether or not if they died tonight they'd end up in heaven or hell, Lord, I pray that they would be quickened and be made alive with you in this moment. So, Father God... Convict their hearts. Let them see that they need you. Let them hunger for more of you. Right now. If you say, Pastor Ronnie, I don't know Jesus. I need to get saved tonight. Just pray this prayer with me. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus. That's right, Dear Lord Jesus. Say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Lord, forgive me of my sin. Please come into my heart and save me. Please come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me for your glory. Bowed in every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer, you're born again, you're saved. I want you to come tell me before you leave tonight. I want you to come tell me Sunday. We'll schedule a time to baptize you. All of those things. But for many of you, you're already saved. You know the Lord. But you're not being the witness God's called you to be. You're not doing the work of an evangelist to make full proof of your ministry. So I don't care where you work. 
where you go to school, how many people you know. I want you to commit in your spirit right now to being an evangelist, to loving people in the name of Jesus. So would you stand on your feet as Adam leads us in worship just a moment tonight. And I just want you to kind of hold your hands up a little bit like this. And I just want to pray a blessing over you that you'll become soul winners and evangelists. Father God, I thank you for the gift, the spiritual gift of evangelism. Lord, we know it's an unction. It's an anointing that comes on your people from you. So Lord, whether they're 13 or they're 79, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they'd become all that you've called them to be. Lord, that they would find people to love, people to witness to, people to speak of your loving kindness to. Lord, give them the unction, the anointing, the power to be soul winners, to love others. May they be watchful of that student that's suicidal, that's cutting. Lord, may they be watchful of that co-worker who's finally sick and tired of being sick and tired and who needs a new life, a life in you. Lord, give us the spiritual eyes to see the hurting. Give us the spiritual ears to hear what's going on in the lives of people you've, the people you've called us to. Lord, so corporately I anoint this body tonight as soul winners and evangelists. Lord, I pray that they would find someone this week just to love. Maybe they don't get to share the entire Romans road with them or maybe they don't get to share John 3.16 with them. Lord, maybe they just simply find someone to love and encourage, put their arm around and be a friend to as a seed that will lead to a harvest where they can share their faith later. Lord, teach us at Abba's house to love people to love you, Lord, but to love others as we love ourselves. Teach us, Lord, to do that. Yes, we have to fight for truth. Yes, we have to fight for righteousness, Father. And we're doing that. We'll continue to do those things. But, Lord, teach us to do it in love. Teach us to love people. Teach us to witness to people. Teach us to invite people into the kingdom of God and into your house every Sunday. Teach us to invest in people who are less fortunate than us. Teach us to be thankful for what you've given us. Lord, may we stop complaining about what we don't have and give you praise and glory for what we do have. Yes, Jesus. Let's worship just a minute with Adam. Just a minute. Just have your moment.